Hey there guys, it's the Man Scout Jake Manning, and today's episode of 10 Bell Pod is brought to you by the 10 Bell Pod Patreon, guys. Guys, I hope you've been like contributing to the Patreon. I'd really like you guys to be patrons of this podcast. And especially if you are a $50 tier member, if you got a very special gift, and that's part of the reason why I'm on today, because one of the special gifts in the $50 tier is my six-disc DVD set, where you'll see such matches where I wrestle... Bobby Eaton, get the crap beat out of me by Terry Funk, Jerry Lawler, Caleb Connolly, basically all of my friends who are more famous than I am. Uh, all, all kinds of great matches are on there, guys, and you can get that with a $50 tier if you contribute to our Patreon, which all you have to do is just go to patreon.com backslash 10 bell pod. 10 is in the numbers, bell and then pod instead of podcast because we're cool but anyways guys make sure you jump onto the patreon get out there support and we appreciate the support if you already have now let's get into today's episode of 10 bell pod wrestling nerddom when you discovered the internet you found these message boards and you had to be a part of them to share your stupid ass thoughts and it took probably 30 to 45 minutes to come up with the right name that you were always proud of that would be kind of witty kind of smart but show who you're a fan of and i had three big ones when i first grew up i think there were different boards i had uh the mothership for dusty for wcw saturday night I had the Lincolnton Crippler, which we'll talk about on a different episode. And then I had Spicoli Driver, because Louie was the first wrestler that I remember hearing about dying that had a profound effect on me. And the Dreamer picked up the Death Valley Driver, made a Spicoli Driver, so I was like, fuck yeah, I'm Spicoli Driver. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you were Spicoli Driver? I was Spicoli On wrestling me- message boards? Yeah. I fucking hated every opinion you posted. <laughs> I swear to God. Like, I'm pretty sure you trashed my early matches. You probably said, like, oh, this man, this Jake Manning guy, he's doing a lot of erratic fist bumps trying to get over these I baby mean, can't face. you just do a serious match? It's always about the funny gimmick. Like, God, just do something serious. And then my third match in where I just pick somebody up, whips them off, did a move, pick them up again, and they gave some sort of power bomb. You gave that match four stars. But when I actually try and tell a story, two and a half. Man, I love spots. Uh, I just love spots. The Lincoln? The, uh, Lincoln? T- Lincoln? Le, the Lincolnton Crippler. The yeah, th- thank you for not glazing the, by that and driving by that. The, I, I know that seems like the, my issue is the less serious, but thank you for jumping on that. The Lincolnton Crippler sounds like an unsuccessful serial killer. Like he's just wounding a lot of people. No, he named himself, and he like yeah, he didn't quite get there, but he's like, no, I'm the Lincolnton Crippler. It's like you don't get to name yourself, dude. So uh, I wanted to ask, did you guys remember any of your uh, message nerd board names? I know Nick had some. I posted on wrestling forum for a long time until i got permanently banned <laughs> even though i had a lifetime membership uh, it was it was what you're gonna do brother but spelled out all weird that was you yeah. jesus I, you hated my matches I, too i i'm i'm scared to say my current name because i still post sometimes and i don't want that to get back to me 
Jake, any... Uh, I've always been high spots underscore TV. Oh, so I, I've been a company shill since day one. <laughs> yeah, fifth grade, he, fifth he, grade, you got hired by high spots. Yeah, even, yeah, well, I bought wrestling boots and all of a sudden, hey, I work here now. Like, that's <laughs> literally my history. Here's your receipt I, and your contract to work with the company. Pretty much, pretty much. All right. Live from the Manning Cave, it's Tim Bellpot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to switch it up. Uh, oh, no, no. Keep, keep it going because uh, my other podcast hates it when I refer to the Manning Cave. Oh, God. Uh, do the they know taste thing. or do they? Oh. None. Nuts whatsoever. <laughs> I am Nick Alexander, joined as always by Michael Lobby. I'm, I'm going to do the SNL guy. Yeah, gee, yeah it's pretty good. I'm just going to, I don't know, make yeah. a weird face. <laughs> and we are here in the Manning Cave at the same man time, at the same man place with the man scout jake manning the one and the only right here getting shit on by both of you guys <laughs> nine years ago let me say up front that the universe did not want us to record this podcast nah. they uh, tried tried valiantly jake your grandma aunt passed away grandma that grandma, grandma passed oh, away gosh. that was that was strike one then the next weekend we were gonna record i got super sick i couldn't even talk yesterday got hit by another car head-on oh so, so it wasn't your fault i was scared to ask no, no it wasn't like, my fault am i gonna make fault. nick more depressed if so, i make it his fault this this podcast is an abomination to god and I am sure that the file will be corrupted, or we're just going to die in the middle of it. No, no, the power's going to go out here. <laughs> and let's keep in mind, I didn't do anything to delay this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Micah is the only one, so we will be doing an episode what? on Micah soon. Well, I mean, is Micah really living life? Is that really the thing? I think that's the issue with, with you and I, Nicholas. We're out here living life, having grandmas True. and stuff, and then Micah over here just... Shut hey, up if you like stay in your room and watch movies all the time, you're fine. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm guilty of that, of that as well. I don't go out on Saturday nights anymore. I just meet parade. That's all I do. <laughs> That's true. So as they pulled my body out of the burning wreckage, all I could say to the EMS worker was, please leave a review for 10 Bell Pod on iTunes and make it five stars. Don't you internet bully us. Today, we have a bit of a cautionary tale, a tragedy about a good wrestler, and by, from what I could tell, I seemed like a decent dude, so let's say again up front, if you suffer from any addictions, there's help out there. Go get it. This story doesn't end happily, like all our podcasts, I guess. The guy we're talking about today was an extra on 90210. He is the alleged inventor of the Death Valley Driver. Mm. He wrestled in Mexico, Japan, WWF, ECW, WCW. He was Louis Spicoli. Or as Dusty Rhodes called him, Louis Spicoli. <laughs> All right, before we get into the story, I wanted to ask you guys, especially Micah, who I know was a big Louis guy, to explain his wrestling style to people who maybe only saw him as a job guy or as Rad Radford? Um, Louis was one that I've, I saw when I was watching him and more when we were doing research that he would do whatever type of match needed to be done. Like when he was a job guy, he would put the guy over beautifully. Um, he could do hardcore stuff and get moonsaulted through a table on the outside by Sabu. He could chain wrestle with Chris Candido. Which, I mean, him working in Mexico, he learned Lucha Libre. I mean, he incorporated it all and wanted to learn it all because he grew up with the passion. So I think when you grow up with a passion and an art that young, you want to learn all the good aspects of every type of wrestling. Well, also, too, like I think one of the things that made him successful in Mexico is he's a good base. For all those guys flying around, you need right. somebody oh, that's going to be there to yeah. catch. And also, too, uh, catching dives. That's one of the things that somebody told me very early on. Like, hey, if you want to wrestle in Mexico, 
just learned to ca- how to catch everybody's dive. So immediately, I went out there and I I took it as a matter of pride of catching everybody's dives. Wow. And then I come to realize I was the only person catching dives. <laughs> and then I start doing dives myself, and I go, "Yep, yeah, that's oh, a true yeah. fact. Nobody catches dives." Um, so that's why it's such a a hot commodity. Is somebody who knows how to catch dives, and Louis most certainly is that a nice big yeah. barrel chested guy. Which I didn't realize it when looking at his um, Wikipedia page. He was only five eleven. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah. Pretty medium size, but he was stock. He was medium size. Medium size. They listed him at 258 pounds, which is uh, at one point in time I was like 260, and I'm 5'11. So at one point in time, me and Louis Spicoli were were the same size. (laughs) Um, After I was done in Las Vegas, after playing poker for eight hours a day every day, I was also 250 pounds, (laughs) but it was not good. It was not a stocky. It was a perfect bowling ball in my stomach. You did good, Nick. A little bit taller. I'm sure you wore it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, maybe. Better. And he fit in more with Vegas car yeah. too. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Louis Mochiolo Jr. was born February 10th, 1971 in Los Angeles, California. Louis was a lifelong wrestling fan. He loved guys like Piper, Savage, Bret Hart. Good taste. He wanted to become a pro wrestler, but he had no idea how to get trained. Since he couldn't just Google it back in the day, Louis went to a show at the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. And during intermission, he approached wild man Jack Armstrong, asking him for advice. And Jack passed him over to ring announcer Big Bill Anderson. Big Bill was a wrestler himself. He was a uh, one-time NWA Los Angeles TV title holder. He was enhancement talent for the WWF. Bill was also a trainer, and he had a hand in training two of the biggest names in pro wrestling, The Ultimate Warrior and Sting, so obviously a huge corporate lobbyist for big face paint. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's funny, I've always heard, you know, Billy Anderson, like, always heard his name and heard his entire resume, and I've always been like, oh, that's just the West Coast version of George South. Uh. (laughs) So every time I hear Billy Anderson, I'm like, oh, that's just the West Coast version. Of just just like in the same sense when you see Man Scout Jake Manning, like oh that's the East Coast version of Joey Ryan, like that just <laughs> transforms. Or the way in my brain it's like the East Coast Woody Allen is the West Coast Albert Brooks, but without all the you know the fucking child stuff, uh, the marrying years that you know about. <laughs> hey, Albert Brooks is a good guy. Maybe, maybe. So after talking to Bill, Louie got his business card. He called him up less than a week later. Three days after his 17th birthday, Louie began training to become a pro wrestler. And after training for just two and a half months, Louie got sent straight to WWF. That's insane. Uh, He started working as a job guy at 17 years old. And I wanted to ask, out of all the workers in the country at the time... (laughs) Why? How did he? How did yeah. would he get this opportunity? Well, I mean, I think he said in a shoot interview he was the one guy that had boots available. I remember that, but it was that was in a school. I'm talking about in the whole country. They called up this 17 year old kid. Why? Well, Why? They, they probably called up Billy Anderson, like, hey, we need some guys for uh, TV, and none of the other guys had boots. So Billy's like, well, anybody who's got boots, because that's the time like when. East Coast version of Billy Anderson, uh, Italian Stallion, and George South. They were bringing the Hardy Boys because they had gear. Yeah. They were they were also like getting guys that worked at gas stations and giving <laughs> them like like leopard prints, uh, singlets, and boots, and just like, hey, uh, go have Nikolai Volkov beat the crap out of you <laughs> for three minutes. Just no. just bump and fall down. I mean, that was always the thing, especially when Ole Anderson would book Georgia. He's just like, I just need a different face. Yeah. And that's why Mike Jackson would just like get guys that barely 
barely knew anything about wrestling whatsoever. And like I said, pulled from the gas station, literally, like on the way to the show. Always like, I need a different face. I need different people every time. <laughs> so they would just find people on the way to the show. And be like, hey, you want to wrestle on TBS? And sure. Mm. And then they would get the shit beat out of them by the Steiners or what Midnight hell, Express. Man? And that's just how it was. And they just wanted different people in there because if they do it on a regular basis, then they become like Barry Horowitz. How young do you get kids training in the high spots now? Do you get about 17-year-old, 16, 15? Um, I mean, we've, we've had kids as young as 14. We, you know, we've had a few 12-year-olds. We've had 16-year-olds. Uh, consistently get a lot of 17-year-olds, but there's a lot of, you know, I think we lean more towards preferring them to start at 18. Right. We kind of kind of push them, like, once you wait till like, <laughs> yeah. at least 18 um, for a lot of different reasons, stuff like that. And we, you know, re-upped our insurance and stuff like that. That was a big thing that they were concerned about was younger kids. And, and even with uh, parental supervision and then a waiver as well, we still kind of lean into it like hey maybe why don't you wait like a couple more years so but usually you know we get a lot of 17 year olds a lot of 18 year olds come through hmm. so after getting caught up by wwf he began using the name louis spicoli which is a reference to sean penn's character in the movie fast time at ridgemont high jeff spicoli and i wanted to save this for the recording so that we could all witness micah yell at me never seen it never seen it's never. not i mean no it's not good I mean, I'm not going to yell at you about that one. Nah, it's nah. not as bad as you like. Inglorious Bastards wasn't that good. I was like, did you, no, wait, did you watch it while you played poker? And you're like, yeah. It's like, you dick. The first match I found of Louie was losing to Ron Bass on WWF Superstars May 10th of 88. But listen to some of the names Louie started out working with pretty much right away. Yeah. Um, Greg insane. the Hammer Valentine, Bad News Brown, he was Big Boss Man's debut match, Mr. Perfect, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, our boy Dino Bravo, Harley Race, Rick Martel, and the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, Barry Horowitz. Uh, I was going with Jim Danville Neidhart. <laughs> Well, if you talk to Barry Horowitz, he will, he will agree with that statement wholeheartedly. And if you talk to me as well, I'll agree with that statement wholeheartedly as well. But if you're putting that, if you're putting the same guy in the ring with all these bigger guys over and over and over, surely that means the company has like some faith in you, right? Yeah, they're like obviously this guy can do some stuff, and you know we we can count on him. We can rely on him to always make this person look good. And so, like I said, you want a new face, but at the same time too, you don't want a bunch of idiots. And that's usually what you run into because guys are grabbing people from gas yeah, stations. So, some in so there. if you find like a, a diamond in the rough, much like when they found the Hardy Boys, oh, these yeah. kids yeah. will take any bump underneath the sun any bump and we will throw them around and it'll look great and they're always going to be there and they'll drive from north carolina all the way to providence rhode island or bangor maine like sure let's make sure that we use them as much as possible and i'm sure wwe being based obviously on the east coast that when they come to the west coast they're like oh if we go out here and we're taping TV, obviously you got to deal with all types of parameters and just getting a ring there and getting things set up and, and you want the least amount of headache possible. So you don't want to book a bunch of extra guys that are going to be absolute dog shit. Yeah. So yeah. let's let's control the situation and fix the things we know. And we know when we book Louie, we're going to get a good match. Yeah. So let's just make sure that we take care of that right away. That's what impressed me going back and watching all his enhancement talent jobber matches, which is like, I don't think I saw a single itty-bitty botch or any awkward movement or anything. Like, every two, three-minute match, he hit all the spots he needed to. He made them look good. Like, there wasn't a single damn botch, and that was pretty damn impressive. 
And they were actually matches. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, totally. Technically, I guess they're squash matches, but it's not like today when the new 610 Hill monster comes in and like wins in 23 seconds after like absorbing all the offense mm-hmm. and doing his finisher. Like he was like having good matches, like solid matches where and it, you know, he just wasn't some stick figure getting crushed by a 400 pounder. Well, when you find somebody of those guys that can do some stuff, they're like, "Yeah, I want me you know, do some because those guys, some of those guys were in that similar predicament before early in their career. So like, mm-hmm. oh, let's give him a couple moves. Maybe, maybe the office will see that he's he's good. And also too, I'm sure Louis was fun to hang out with after the shows. Yeah, so like, like yeah. so like, hey, when we give him a, a little extra spot, <laughs> on, maybe yeah. maybe he can come along and hang out with us, and you know, maybe give him a little bit in this match, and then maybe he can be part of the roster. So while working as enhancement talent for WWF, Louis also hit the road a little, working a couple matches in AWA. He even got some time at the Sportatorium at a World Class Brother. Yeah. And uh, he did some work with the UWF. And, and not uh, Bill Watts' UWF. The, the other UWF, which is run by Herb Abrams. And Herb Abrams <laughs> has the best entry into Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> like now, I and let's be honest. I have not scoured all of Wikipedia, but I, I would guess top that, five. Oh, easily <laughs> top three. Let's just go ahead and say top three. And every time the UWF Herb Abrams comes up on any podcast, I feel it's necessary that I read quite possibly the best paragraph in all of Wikipedia. So if you guys will indulge me. I am so happy because you are so happy and I don't know what I'm getting into right now. Yeah, and I don't smile, I don't, especially especially when I'm in here in the Manning Cave. It's, it's all business, it's like but right now I am grinning. The mustache head. might move somewhere, but I don't see teeth. Well, to give you an idea of UWF Herb Abrams, this is, this is all you need to know about the promotion, is this man, <clears throat> Herb Abrams. This is on his Wikipedia page. Uh, This is uh, one of the last paragraphs on the page, and this is referring to Herb Abrams. Before his death, while high on cocaine, (laughs) Abrams was found naked and covered in a Vaseline-type substance, (laughs) destroying furniture with a baseball bat in his New York office. He was in the company of prostitutes at the time. Not long afterwards, he died in police custody of a heart attack. He had cocaine stuck all over his body when he died. <laughs> this situation is commonly referred to as the American dream. I added that part in there. I feel like I, I typed that into Wikipedia. They keep taking that, that last line off, but I feel like it's appropriate. I mean, it is. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So in uh, 1989, Louis headed down to Tijuana, Mexico with Tim Patterson and his trainer, Bill Anderson. As part of, of the stable, Los Mercenarios Americanos, which is what I order from Taco Bell. Taco Bell jokes. All right. Yeah, um, we're doing good. <laughs> someone, <laughs> I hope someone booed me listening to this. While in Mexico, Louis wrestled Conan, and since they kind of broke into the business at the same time, <laughs> they kind of became pals, and they would like go over matches together and help each other out. And I know it's usually Jake with the cool behind-the-scenes wrestling stories, oh. uh, but at WrestleCon, I worked with Rey Mysterio Jr. and Conan at their table, and Rey could not have been a nicer person he's just cheerful and happy and conan was still pretty nice but he was like really scary like in an old school i've seen a man die and i liked it essay like <laughs> <laughs> he's still in the nwo <laughs> so so ray wanted me to go buy him a red bull 
and he handed me $20, and he asked Conan if he wanted anything, and he looked at me and said, I want a Coke, just make sure it's cold. Are you sure he was like, I want I want that Coke cold, just like the last dead body that I saw? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I heard. Uh, if you've never been to WrestleCon, it's like 2,000 wrestling fans, and I don't know, 300 wrestlers just taking over a ballroom at a hotel. So when I went to the store upstairs in the hotel, since it was so crazy busy, they had just restocked the drink coolers. Oh, shit. So every Coke in the building was like room temperature warm. So I started panicking. I went over to the ice machine. It was out of ice. (laughs) So I stood in this line of like 35 people, finally got to the cashier, and I was like, hey, your drinks aren't cold and your ice machine is out of ice. Uh, The guy, it was just one person, and he was like, oh, sorry, it's just me, kind of implying like there's a hundred customers here. I'm not going to refill the fucking ice machine. As he should. Ha ha, you're going to die by Conan's hands. (laughs) (laughs) I understood. But I was like, no, you're going to give me some ice. It's for Conan. Viva la raza. So he went, he got me some ice. And after being in line for like 30 minutes, I ran back downstairs, gave Ray his Red Bull and his change. And then I gave Conan his Coke and a cup of fucking ice and was like, sorry, sir. The drinks were warm. And so I got you some ice. And he stared at me for what seemed like 45 minutes and was just like, Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> if that was the time I almost got murdered by Conan. Listen, when I ran Conan's mm. autograph line, nothing but a gentleman, <laughs> sweetheart, a, a doll of a man. <laughs> and, and a matter of fact, I, I was running his autograph line while working the merch table at this convention, and I was just happened to be right next to all these these masks. Yeah. And then people were asking, "Who's this? Which mask is this?" And that's when I was like super on point with which masks are yeah. which and stuff like that. And I'm doing this in front of Conan, which is weird enough as it is. And Conan <laughs> goes, "Man, you're really good at this." <laughs> and I go, "You should be too." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, yeah, these are all your friends. Yeah. Mask on the table right now. Just, uh, what yeah. I, What I liked about working that table is that obviously Rey Mysterio is probably one of those famous wrestlers all time people were losing their shit over conan he was a you god in yeah fucking yeah, yeah. Mexico, i mean man. he was like holding his own with ray mysterio yeah. as far as like people just being like oh my god you well know? he was max moon guys yeah that's yeah, <laughs> true who louis had a match with yeah, yeah which uh, was one of the things when when max moon was going to debut that he's like when conan's like i really want louis to wrestle to make sure this looks good which is also one two three kid yeah. um wrestle louis as well so, 91 and 92, Lou did more enhancement talent spots with people like Shawn Michaels, Jake Roberts, uh, and his hero, Bret Hart. May of 92, Louie wrestled with Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling in Japan. It's FMW, brother. Yeah, <laughs> come right. on. Or Onito's group, if you want to get, you know, he wrestled for Onito over there. Exploding shit. He also uh, wrestled there in 93 before Sabu accidentally got him fired. Uh, they were traveling on a bus, and the driver would not stop for anything, so Louis really had to pee, so he peed in a bottle. And eventually, Louis had to pee again, so he poured that bottle out of the window, and Sabu said something like, He's pouring piss out the window, but lost in translation, the driver took it as, Louis is pissing out of the window. <laughs> the driver narked, and he got fired. Can we also bring up that his name was the White African? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Louis has the some of the best a- names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And as we kind of just mentioned, it was around 1993 when Louie would wrestle 1-2-3 Kid for Kid's tryout match with the WWF. And when X-Pac got hired for a full-time roster spot and Louie didn't, it caused some bad feelings with him in the WWF. Especially since X-Pac called him up and gave Louie a lot of credit for how good of a match they had. And this would more or less lead to Louie leaving the WWF for the first time. Well, I like how he's only a few years in and he's just like, you know, the WWF needs to respect my ability. (laughs) I just like there's a little bit of like, yeah, obviously in all these situations, you'd probably feel like, you know, kind of shit or get off the pot WWF and hire me. But there's still like, dude, you're a couple years in. Like, (laughs) and he's just like, dude, you're going to do something with me or what? And I'm like, you're that young and you're there like, man, this is going great. You're like, like, the whole world's going to open up. I don't know if. If I was around during Louis's time, whether I would like him or I'd be like, man, this guy's fucking just really full of himself. Like, I don't know like how I would feel about him because like, like I see guys that get very like after two or three years, they're like, oh no, I'm I'm a big deal, and that always like frustrates me because mm. even after like 16 years, I still like I hate everything that I do and think <laughs> I don't deserve anything that I get deep down inside. That's how I feel. And so that way after somebody after two years is saying like, oh no, WWF's going to call. I should get a tryout match and all these other things. It gets a little But you little never weird. had that moment in the beginning of your wrestling career where you really felt like, yeah, I'm fucking doing good. I'm going to... For like six weeks. <laughs> and then like life humbled me and then... Or you had one bad match and it all... No, not even one bad match. No. It's just somebody just said no. Oh. Just... <laughs> You're wrong, Jake. You're yeah, wrong. just somebody in like probably Centersville, Illinois said, no, we're not going to book you. And and that just maybe uh, fell apart. So. But, you know, he got caught up to the big leagues when he was a kid, when he was 17, and he's been doing solid work for a couple, few years now. So he's got to be a little frustrated. Oh, no, no, I, I, no, I, no I, I, totally, I totally get his frustration. Yeah. It's probably as, as long as he'd been there. I think, you know? he, I think he got set up for unrealistic expectations. A, a like, little bit. Yeah, totally. You're a baby. Here's the world. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're on TV now every day. You know, well, there are veterans out here. You can't vote for the president, but you're on TV. Yeah. doing. But at the same time, too, like, it's, it's that's why you need people to like, hey, look at the big picture. Yeah. You're yeah. going to Mexico. You're going to Japan. Eventually, something's going to hit, and they're going to want you, yeah. which ends up happening. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So, 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 nobody, so sometimes you just need somebody to pull off to the side, like, hey, man, just just cool it. But at the same time, too, he probably needed to lay that, that ultimatum, like, hey, do something with me or not, and then that forces him to go somewhere else, right. and that brought him back around. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. it's all progress. Yeah. So after splitting, uh, in 1994, Louie made a very, very quick stop in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where he faced Tim Bell Pod's best episode, Chris Candido <laughs> for the United States Junior Heavyweight Championship. Not long after that, he went back to Mexico and joined a fairly new promotion at the time, AAA. There, he'd be Madonna's boyfriend, a gimmick where he came out to like a virgin, told people that he was Madonna's boyfriend. What? And I assume adopted several kids from Africa. Uh, yeah. I th- oh, yeah, she did that too. I was thinking Jolie. <laughs> well, uh, Sean Penn dated Madonna, right? In the 90s and tied her to a chair and beat the shit out of her. Okay. okay. And <laughs> we can glaze over that story. Um, and then also Sean Penn played uh, Jeff Spicoli. Uh, so then it circles back oh, around my Louis Spicoli. Why think of this you bullshit? God. Exactly. I don't like Jake now. I'm jealous. <laughs> think about that, movie boy. <laughs> So, during this run in Mexico, Louis apparently got on the El Juicio de Steroids Picante because he was jacked out of nowhere. Hey, you didn't make a Taco Bell joke, so I'm Uh, proud of you. No Taco Bell jokes. (laughs) 
Love Moss. He was also one of the Los Gringos Locos with Eddie Guerrero, Conan, Art Bar, and in AAA, Louis would get a push for the first time in his career. He was making really good money, but he hated living in Mexico. To which I say, if you don't like it, you can get out, S.A. Yeah. We don't need your goddamn Americans coming to Mexico, taking our luchador jobs, eating our mole sauce, Constiero El Muro. I think that means build a wall in Spanish. Probably. <laughs> Lucky for Louis, the eyes of the pro wrestling world were about to be on AAA at When Worlds Collide on November 6, 1994. On pay-per-view. The entire show is on YouTube, but unfortunately it was recorded with what seems like a toaster. Uh, <laughs> it's it, quite okay. I've got a, I got a nice copy. Yeah, I'll probably it, upload it at some point. It's a... F- Fantastic show. Worlds oh, Collide. Dude, dude. There's a five-star match. Was it Hair versus Mass, two out of three falls with Barr and Guerrero? And, oh, man, that match is so fucking good. Like, I have another podcast called How Did This Get Booked where we watch um, subpar wrestling shows and give it to non-wrestling fans to watch. But there's a small part of me that wants to break that formula. Just to show this. Just to show this to a non-wrestling fan and be like, what do you think about this? Because AAA in the early 90s was on fire. Yeah, it was pretty great. And they were able to like come into L.A. and draw really big houses in L.A. But as far as like 92, 93, 94, like AAA was just just on fire. I mean, early 90s La Parca, also like Los Gringos Locos, just unbelievable stuff like just so cool so awesome and louis just in the mix with all of that it's one of those things uh late 90s when you're listening to nitro and you listen to mike tenay jerk off about every mexican match and move and everything and tenay does commentary on this show and it's like oh he he loved it from the very beginning it all it all comes together i remember when i first watched the triple a pay-per-view i was like man tenay god bless him he loves this shit (laughs) As part of this pay-per-view, Louis would be part of Batala por el Gorio, which uh, oh. <laughs> battle for respect, I think. Oh. A uh, six-man tag match with Juventud's dad, Forza Guerrera, Madonna's boyfriend, and Psychosis beating he- heavy metal Latin lover and a 19-year-old Rey Mysterio Jr., who I bought a Red Bull for. Uh, Did I tell I, the story yeah, about yeah, how? Uh, uh, okay. Well, and also that match was like uh, the breakup moment for Rey Mysterio. That was the exposure uh, to that. Okay. that was the yeah. exposure to an American audience to Rey Mysterio and who this guy was. That was his first exposure to America. So just going back and seeing this like holy cow, this is this guy's debut event for an American audience, an audience that he's going to entertain for 20 plus yeah, years. Yeah, still doing it. Which it, is crazy too because that match, most of it is Louis is beating the shit out of Rey Mysterio yeah, Jr. Yeah. and like counteracting every one of Rey's dives and catching him and like smacking him on the head and just like it's all Louis and Rey playing off of each other in that match to make Rey look so good well, and, and Louis look so good. And that's the thing that Louis thought about with this pay-per-view that you know WWE's going to see this pay-per-view yep. and they're going to want me. Yeah. So not only is in this match that features a future breakout star. He's also getting involved in run-ins and te- in another tag match. He's seconding people and stuff like that. So, like, he's all over this pay-per-view. In the match, he was kind of... It was like he... W- Louis's not a huge guy, but 
the commentators and the the match itself kind of put him over as like a monster because he was just catching all these lucha guys yeah. and like kind of stopping them in their tracks. Like but, I said, a good post, a guy who can get heat up on you. That's all you need when you're wrestling like a luchador, especially in Mexico. Catch my dive, be there for my Rana, and just beat me up and get enough heat so that way when I make a comeback, people care. Just for crazy spots in the match. Louis is laying on the outside on the floor and Ray hits a swanton bomb from the top rope to the outside onto the floor. Fucking brutal. The match is nuts. It's a lucha match. It's just people <laughs> flying all over the place. And then it ends <laughs> on like a fucking arm bar. It's a, it's a Kimura. And Dude, it's a Kimura and he taps and, you're, and the, even the commentator's like, I, I, I think the match is over. Yeah, yeah. it was fucking so weird. <laughs> so after crushing it on that pay-per-view, nine days later, WWF's J.J. Dillon calls up Louie and they offer him an actual roster spot. So Louis goes in, he has his creative meeting with Vince, and he pitches being a L.A. rich kid, kind of in the styling of his favorite show, 90210. And he thought that's what they were going to go with when he left the meeting. However, when he showed up for his first TV taping, they told him he was going to be billed from Seattle, Washington. And his new plaid shirt, he was going to be the grunge rock loving Rad Ratford. Which is basically when Eddie Vedder fucks Andy Richter. <laughs> Rad even wrote an album review column for WWF Magazine. <laughs> he played up being in love with Courtney Love, uh, which, whew, luckily he wasn't. He really dodged a literal bullet that would have been framed as a suicide. Ah, uh, you know, he killed himself, Nick. He killed himself. <laughs> oh, that's, this, is for, this is a different podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, that's so, for the Soaked in Bleach podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Now super jacked with a new gimmick and a sweet Northern Lights suplex finisher, Louis would start getting a few wins on shows like WWF Superstars. He'd have singles matches with very young Jeff and Matt Hardy, beating them, as well as beating Man Mountain Rock. However, I wouldn't say it was like a full-blown push because he was still losing the people like hey. Savio Vega and Haku and Adam Bomb. He was just a jobber with a gimmick. I, guess, uh, or, I mean, it was a little bit more. He was a I guy. A he was a guy that you could put on main event of Action Zone, main event of Superstars. Yeah. It's going to get enough traction. But when he goes to Raw, wrestles on Raw, he's going to be putting somebody <laughs> yeah. else over, yeah. or definitely on pay per view. You're just going to get just enough heat to to get over with this guy. I mean, he's kind of placed right in the middle, and just to just kind of see what happens. It makes sense. And also, too, this is like time of the click and there's so much fighting at the top and stuff like that so there's there's all these guys fighting up at the top and i'm sure louis is like i'm just happy to have a job <laughs> i just kind of like i just want to have good matches yeah. so people that are fighting for the top <clears throat> are gonna be like i want to work this guy that's gonna make me look good it doesn't care if he loses <laughs> come on get in here buddy and <laughs> like, am i wrong take that l and he's like yeah i just wrestled <laughs> i just wrestled bret hart awesome great cool <laughs> and you gave me stuff Perfect. Yeah. And was that wrong? Or did he, is his theme music the head, what would become the headbangers theme music? Yeah. I, like, really, like watching right. matches, it, it seems like, I think this is the headbangers. They, uh, they definitely recycled stuff. Yeah, yeah, they do that a couple times. Uh, Kurt Angles was mm. used, I think, by the Patriots, yes. right? Oh, um, shit, yeah. They reused Briscoe and Patterson's music for Hulk Hogan. That's backwards. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait. Sorry, I want to bring up the one point. that uh, They would say he's like a big fan of Hull, world champion of mosh pits, but they would also do in the commentary that he would follow the Grateful Dead around in a shitty van. 
And I don't really get the the, the crossbreed yeah. of the the grunge thing with the Grateful Dead. Well, obviously the commentators <laughs> didn't either. So yeah. that's, that's that's why that was said. I think, I think Jim Ross was like, ah, Grateful Dead. That's yeah, <laughs> it's Vince being like, disco's still cool, right? Yeah. Jerry Garcia hangs out with Cobain all the fucking yeah. time. And actually, in the falls, Rat Radford follows on Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> So one of the biggest moments, I guess, of this run and of Louis' time in WWF, he would be part of the October 23rd, 1995 Monday Night Raw 20-Man Battle Royal to become the number one contender at Razor Ramon's Intercontinental title. And to my knowledge, this is Louis' only shot at a shot at a <laughs> WWF singles title. Seven, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon title <laughs> shot. So uh, Barry Horowitz would eliminate Candido as part of their storyline, which Louis will later get involved in. Uh, Louis gets eliminated on commercial break <laughs> by Bam Bam Begalo. You deserve better, Louis. Uh, uh, the final two are Marty Jannetty and Owen, who goes on to win it after some British Bulldog interference. So after this, Louis would join up with the Body Donnas as a Body Donna in training, which apparently was an idea that Louis himself had thought up. I thought it was a weird angle because this was Louis in like the best shape of his career. <laughs> and he was supposed to be like a dumpy fat guy. Like WCW Louis could have done this, but not Rad Radford, right? Like, yeah, but I mean, it, it, that was like the, the weird thing too is like people always criticize, well, like, why couldn't ECW Candido be the body Donna Candido? Because Candido was in way better shape in yeah. ECW yeah. than he was when he was wearing the powder blue singlet. And so you see uh, Rad Radford be like, I didn't need to get in shape. He's like, well, yeah, you're not that far off from Chris right now. You guys are kind of <laughs> pretty in the exact same shape. Yeah. So to say that he was dumpier than each other, I mean, they're, they're both bigger guys. Yeah. But at the same time, too, like, jacked and chiseled yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i was gonna say if Isn't you're not it, jacked and chiseled you'll always look fat in the wrestling world yeah but uh not so much in 95 but definitely now you can go on instagram and there's guys that look better than guys in wwf right not so much in 1995 so he'd be part of the 1995 survivor series which is something we touched on during our candido episode they opened up the pay-per-view with Sonny doing intros. It's Rad Radford, Skip, Sonny, and Tom Pritchard's pre-zip and haircut days. And the newly hill 123 kid with manager Ted DiBiase. Just a whole posse of people. They take on Barry Horowitz, Hakushi, Marty Jannetty, and the race car driver gimmick Bob Holly. Louie got a lot of ring time in this match and kind of steals the show. He even got a little love from Mr. Perfect on commentary, which I was made me kind of pumped. Louie uh, gets an elimination on Hakushi before getting eliminated himself with a Barry Horowitz roll-up while doing push-ups under Skip's direction. Which I want to touch on your uh, Mr. Perfect doing commentary. Him giving a compliment is pretty good because Henning's commentary was basically seven minutes of silence. And then that wrestle move was pretty good. <laughs> but it wasn't perfect. So Rad Radford would eventually be kicked out of the Body Donnas following a tag team title loss to the Smoking Guns on December 23rd, 1995 on an episode of Superstars. Where were you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Where were you guys with that? Just the way you said that date sounded a lot of importance. 9-11, JFK getting his head blown off. And this episode of Superstars. After the loss, Sonny blames Rad, kicks him out, slaps him, and 
Skip attacks him from behind, which you think, if you remember the body Donna's, Sunny, and Candido, they were so over as hills, you would think this would have set Rad Radford up for like a really cool face run. Right. But after that, he would mainly spend time being the first guy to work with a very, very green Ahmet Johnson at house shows until 96. Um, they'd, <laughs> they, they even had I a, hope that sound came across I, on the podcast. I'm having flashbacks to every indie show where I walk in and they go, oh, you're wrestling this guy. Oh, you mean this big six foot four jacked up guy? I'm wrestling him? How long has he been wrestling? I'm guessing it's under two years. Six months. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> Does he have a really? Does he have a really dangerous finisher? Sweet! <laughs> oh, sit out power bomb, and he bottoms out the ring before I ever hit it. Fantastic! Put me in the ring with him. They'd even had a match on Raw together, and Louis makes Ahmed look like I'm not gonna say a million dollars. I will say a professional wrestler. <laughs> um, but true. Ahmed didn't exactly take care of Louis in the ring. Which leads to two conflicting stories to Louis' health problems and why he left the WWE, or was rather let go from. So, Ahmed had been dropping him on the back of his head, sometimes knocking him completely unconscious mid-match, which led to bleeding on the back of his brain, which led to a seizure, which led to Louis passing out in his lawn, being found by a neighbor, Louis waking up in the hospital. This is the story he told in his RF shoot video. And according to that, he wasn't even drinking. So there's that story. Also in 1996, rumors of Louis' drug use had made it to the front office, which leads to story number two. Spicoli was found unconscious by his neighbor after overdosing on somas and suffering a seizure. So it was reported that he had 55 somas in his system at the time. It was rumored that he could do 85. Uh I mean, that's not the fucking Nathan hot dog eating contest. (laughs) Uh, Why? Funny story. Is it? (laughs) No, no, no. Funny story about somas. Obviously, us being wrestling fans... We know what somas are. Yeah. I used to date a police officer, and when I told her like about somas, and I, and I said it just kind of in passing, as we as we were like, oh, this person died Does because somas of alcohol up. and somas, or they were looking for somas. She looked at me and was like, "What are somas?" Wow, a cop. And I go, "You're a cop. <laughs> you bust people for drugs, and this drug that kills people <laughs> that people are selling illegally. You have no idea what the street term is. Like, was she so. a rookie?" No, (laughs) 10-year member of CMPD. Shit. So it it sucks to say because aside from all the pill popping, Louis seems like a guy I'd want to be friends with. He He seems like really cool and funny, and I'm sure Ahmet Johnson cracking your noggin doesn't help, but Louis' shoot story, I think, in my opinion, is a guy with a drug problem denying that he has a drug problem. Yeah. Like, I would say completely fabricated, and I would lean... More towards believing the Soma story, especially considering how this whole thing ends. So after eight years of working with WWF on and on, they let him go at this point. And his last match ever would be him losing to Henry Godwin at a house show in New Haven, Connecticut, January 6th, 1996. And a lot of talk that I read and heard here was this was 
right after WWF got reamed for the steroids and the, the, the drug trial, all that, and for some one of their guys to get hospitalized yeah. for doing too many drugs, they weren't going to keep them around. Peace, you're out of here. Yeah, yeah that's that's always the speculation that you, you want to get. And I'm sure there was probably, probably was, there was a conversation of reaching out for him to get help, and I would imagine he was like, oh, I don't have a problem. I don't know why you guys are assuming this. And that's typical... Yeah drug behavior right unfortunately even though wwf let him go he still ha- somehow had a non-compete clause with wcw so he couldn't go there and after a couple stops on indie promotions louis would go on to find a home debuting july 1996 in extreme championship wrestling winning his first match against el puerto ricano well with pablo marquez who is probably the best ECW jobber to make everybody's finisher look like $5,000 million. <laughs> like, the total elimination that, that Saturn and Kronos hit on uh, Pablo Marquez is the best. It's the one in the ECW highlight video at the beginning of their show every time. So if, you, if you're not familiar with Louie and you've only seen him get squashed by Arn Anderson in the late 80s, ECW is where you should discover him. Like, yeah. Louie got to go out and just be himself. <clears throat> he wasn't Rad Radford. He wasn't on the bad side of a squash match. He got to go be a wrestler and try to get himself over completely on his own. Which he did. Yeah, which, which he, he did. totally did. Louis cut his grungy blonde hair. He changed his finisher move to the Spicoli driver. And pretty much right away got a few shots at Shane Douglas's ECW TV title. Including a match you can find on the network's Hardcore TV 178. It's 19 minutes and 22 seconds. Which has to be his longest match uh, at this point, and maybe in his career, at least on TV, oh, no, for I, sure. I guarantee in AAA he wrestled. Oh, yeah. I guarantee <laughs> there is there were some point. some matches in Oaxaca or two out of three falls, six man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guarantee in yeah. Mexico he put on some thirty minute, maybe yeah. even some almost hour long matches. But comparing it against WWF, I mean, I'm sure oh, yeah. most of his matches are five minutes and under. And then when and he was with the him. Body Donnas, maybe he got like some twelves in there. And this is just him working. No one yeah. else. It's just him doing single stuff. So, Louie would be part of a Loser Leaves Town match against Too Cold Scorpio at November to Remember 96. So, Scorpio did a few short matches where he says whoever loses has to leave ECW for X amount of days. And he he progressively goes up like one week, one month. He, He beats Devin Storm. He has to leave for 15 days. He beats JT Smith with a moonsault, so he has to leave for 30 days. He beats Hack Myers, who has to leave for 60. Then he would face Louie, and they're gambling leaving ECW for one year. Louie comes out, hits him with a Spicoli driver. Too Cold has to leave for a year, which in reality he was going to WWF. Which I, I like uh, Too Cold's uh, promo when he comes out at first. Like, Louie, you know you want to go back to WWF. Come on with me. We're, you're going to be my mystery partner at Survivor Series tomorrow night. Come on, Louie. Just just, just lose and do it. Over the next few months, Louie would work with all the big ECW guys. Sabu, Stevie Richards, Candido, Boss Mahoney, and eventually have a feud with Tommy Dreamer. Great Dreamer, uh, Louie spot. Uh, the Buffalo Invasion show. They brawl all the way up to the top of the uh, arena and uh, Louis crotches Dreamer, and he throws Dreamer down 20 fucking bleacher seats, and Dreamer tumbles down the entire thing. It is a true holy shit spot. I thought, and I think Joey gives a, is he dead? <laughs> and that feud would end in an I Quit match June 20th, 1997, which you can find on ECW Hardcore TV 2 
18. And Rick Rude is on commentary, so yeah. you know it's good. Before the match, Tommy is attacked by Sabu and RVD, but Louie heads down to the ring anyways, mic in hand, and starts attacking Dreamer and asking him if he quits. But he doesn't, and after Dreamer grabs a wrench and latches on to Louie's man parts, Louie quits. So you know you can't. So really I want to be. Him. I want to be a wrestling dickhead here. It's pliers. He has pliers, uh, and he grabs Louis's balls. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now Nick's mad. <laughs> it wasn't long after this, uh, Louis would start getting a little heat with Paul Heyman. Apparently, Louis's drug use was becoming an issue again. And if you're doing too many drugs for ECW, <laughs> goddamn. Another issue that Paul had with Louis is apparently he had been talking to. WCW and WWF behind Paul's back, that slut. They kind of touch on this during the shoot. Apparently, Kevin Sullivan felt slighted by Louie because he turned down his WCW offer, so he went and told Paul Heyman on him. Eventually, Louie would part way with ECW, and what that I found his last match was ECW Born to be Wired against Mikey Whipwreck, yeah. August 9th, 97, and don't tell Vince McMahon, but the entire pay-per-view is on Daily Motion. Mikey lands, or he misses, one of the most brutal, over-the-top somersaults I have ever seen. Like, he, his legs hit nothing but guardrail, <laughs> and his head hits nothing but concrete. Yeah, it's it really bad. Nuts. It's nuts. Really, you saw yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I watched, I, yeah. He gets, he gets back, and uh, Frankensteiner's Louie for the win. And I wonder if it was a, like, I'm dead. Like, we got to end this, like, right now. Sorry, Frank and Mikey. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> After leaving ECW, about a month later, Louie did end up signing with WCW, so you can calm the fuck down, Kevin Sullivan. Louie would win his debut TV match against Chavo on WCW Saturday night, October of 97. <clears throat> And a month later, he'd be part of the three-ring battle royal at World War III. And I am such a fucking mark for this match. And how long did he last in the he, match? I he, think it's like eight seconds? He, it was 30. He lasted 30 seconds. You, did you time it? Because yeah, I'm going yeah. with 15 below. It was. He didn't last very long. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Louis would be part of the first ever WCW Thunder. January 8th of 98 in Daytona Beach, Florida, and he'd face a aging Rick Martel. Say um, aging, but still graceful as fuck. Like, he <laughs> was putting some great matches with Booker T at the time. Yeah, he got the title shot and sold out that right after that. He would lose to Martel, Quebec Crab. And with losing against Martel, pretty much, you know, at a very publicized event, such as the first ever Thunder, uh, it's probably safe to say they weren't going to give him a big push. He was more of a warm body. Well, wow, they didn't do Bret Hart any favors at yeah. WCW. So, they didn't like, know what they were they doing. Were prob- they, they probably thought, we're going to give you the Bret Hart push in WCW. <laughs> Louis did some commentary in WCW, crushing it with his wit and humor. Until he made a wee bit of an Oklahoma City bombing joke on air and was removed. So it's safe to say that joke... Nope. Nope, don't do it. Nope. Nope. Didn't go very well. That's right. That's a safer landing. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he's the Gilbert Godfrey of commentary. (laughs) Mr. Too Soon. So Louie would eventually become a lackey for one of his old WWF buddies, Scott Hall and the NWO. Around January of 98, Scott Hall had been in a feud with the living legend Larry Zabisco. And on WCW Thunder, January 15th of 98... Number two. Hall was going to face Louie until Hall asked him 
is he for WCW or NWO? Louie fanboyed out on the mic, which brought out Larry. Larry eventually gets in the ring, but Louie attacks him from behind. Louie would join Hall in his feud with Larry. As part of the uh, angle, Spicoli stole Zabisco's golf clubs, bringing him down to the ring and breaking them over his knee as Hall did jokes on the mic. If you only knew how much Larry Zabisco loved golfing. <laughs> like, you laugh, like, oh, he just broke his golf club, whatever. No, 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 no. There are a few pleasures and, and things that Larry Zabisco holds near and dear to his heart. One is golfing, the other is his coffee. So don't fuck with his coffee and don't fuck with his golf clubs. So. Was there a coffee spot in the feud? Because no, no, not in this feud. I, I mean, I, 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 it should have came. I'm just saying it would probably hopefully. I came. I have heard of stories of Larry Zabisco losing his mind over somebody possibly stealing his coffee at his house. <laughs> I've also heard him stealing bitch. his coffee. At have, his uh, house. Yes, he accused somebody who was staying at his house of, of taking his coffee because he had <laughs> personal coffee. Not that his he, money or his jewelry. Yeah, his n- coffee. His coffee, and then also there's been. A wrestling show that I've been at, he was bitching at in Miami. He goes, "Why can't you find a good cup of coffee in this town?" Everybody's like, "He want americano." Americano's like, "No, I want a goddamn cup of coffee, American." <laughs> he did not take after Bruno in that aspect. No, no, that's why he was the heel in the feud with yeah. Bruno. So, so on February 9th, nineteen ninety-eight, on Monday Nitro, Louis did commentary. He also had a match against gentleman Chris Adams. That match followed the infamous match between Goldberg and William Regal. Louis carried Zabisco's bag and briefcase, which he had stolen. Uh, they set that up earlier on commentary. So all this was supposed to lead to a match between Spicoli and Larry at Super Brawl 8 in February of 98. But sadly for Louis, that match would never happen, and this match against Chris Adams would be Louis Spicoli's last match ever. Louis loses via DQ, hitting Chris with Larry Zabisco's briefcase, which brings out Larry to chase Louis to the back. So Louis had actually quit drugs, cold turkey, when he joined WCW, kind of had a new lease on life, but unfortunately his mother got terminal cancer, and this led to him crashing and a relapse. Which is sadly understandable. Yeah. This relapse would prove fatal, which is often the case. You get clean, so your tolerance goes down. You relapse, you do your normal amount of shit, and you can't handle it anymore. On February 15th, 1998, Spicoli's friend John Hanna found Louis dead in his San Diego home, in his system, just 26 somas, chased down by wine, causing him to vomit and asphyxiate in his sleep, a death very similar to Jimi Hendrix. And just like Hendrix, Louis Mochiolo was just 27 years old. I think that's the youngest we've covered so far. And unfortunately, it won't be the last time we discuss a wrestler who took somas and was drinking and choked on their own vomit in the middle of the night. Unfortunately, that was, especially during this time in the late 90s, early 2000s, there were a lot of guys that went out like that. And uh, I'm surprised there wasn't more, to be really quite honest. Do you still see this shit in locker rooms? No. No, it's really changed? Yeah, it's it's a completely different story. But I, but I, but I will say this, you know. I mean, there, there could have been a few casualties during my time 
it, but it all comes back to romanticizing right the yeah, idea yeah, of totally. like just take some pain pills and go down the road yeah, yeah, yeah. you know and, and and i've been around guys that talk like that but luckily they're all sober individuals now like i remember road dog just popping a bunch of pills and having some beers right before he wrestled and now yeah. he's clear-headed and sober and he's got his life all the way around yeah. I, and I remember Jimmy Jacobs telling a story about he would come into locker rooms and, t- and go, who's got pills? Who's got pills? Mm-hmm. And I even remember Zach Gowan being a pill hound as well. And all those guys have turned their life around because, and it, I think a lot of them because of they realized how incru- out of control they were. But also, too, some of them were like, this is dumb. Why are we doing this? Yeah, I, the, and and it, it's like we know people die from this. What we're trying to romanticize? We're trying to be like Harley Race, having a twelve pack, driving from town to town. Like, what are we doing here? Like, what are we, we're trying to be rock stars? What are we trying to do? Like, like trying to be like Jimi Hendrix? Obviously, what's going on here? That's what I don't understand with like Louis doing fifty somas, eighty eight somas. Like, what the fuck? Like, well, because you're an athlete. You take trust me. Like that was that was the problem when I was drinking. Yeah. That's that's why. It, I can do more. I had, you know, three. Do you need more? Or is it just like a personal challenge to say like, hey, I fucking did 60 somas and I'm good. I, I, I mean, assume there's some amount of like machismo where it's yeah. like, uh, he did well, 100. Well, you know. when, you're, when, you're, when you're involved in entertainment or, or some sort of athletics, you're trying, you're always pushing to the edge. Right. Athletically. But you're also pushing to the edge in everything that you do. Yeah. So if you have a vice, you're pushing the vice to the edge. And I remember two very clear times in my life where drinking got out of hand, where I could no longer get drunk off of the amount of whiskey I was drinking every night, which was a fifth every single night. So I went. You, you didn't even feel drunk. No, I could probably drive and I'd be fine. And Jesus Christ! So I started drinking Everclear and orange juice. Dude. And yeah, they, you and, should be dead. And they'd be mixed half and half. Jesus fuck, dude! And that was the only way I could catch a bus. Because I was pushing it to the limit because I pushed everything to the limit. Oh and that's and that's how you get guys doing not two somas, not three, yeah. but like 20, 30, 80. Because every time you're like, well, this was good. But, you know, if I take 10 more, I'll feel even better. And that's how it just cycles through. Okay. I just like even just like your stock, it's going to be like, oh, I took 80. I need yeah, <laughs> no, like, 300 more. Yeah. Like, God damn, man. That's, mm-hmm. Pills are the one thing I... I just, I don't understand it, and it's so fucking scary because it's like messing with science, you know? It's, if you mix baking soda and vinegar, it's gonna volcano, it's gonna do the thing. (laughs) If you mix all these fucking Mm -hmm. pills together, just, it's gonna do something in you that's not good, you know? But you hear about it all the time. This, as long as this podcast goes, we'll cover this 500 times. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I feel for the most part that most people have kind of gotten the message and woken up. And, and that's why you that's why guys make fun of it now like old timers but as somebody that's kind of essentially been caught between both worlds and seeing the guys asking for the pills in the locker room he's like oh I got a real messed up back can you get me some of this mm-hmm. and then you know now being an era where guys are bringing Nintendo 64s yeah. and trying to figure out how they can hook it up on the flat screen in the back yeah, so they can yeah, play yeah. video games in the back as opposed to looking for pills <laughs> I'll take the video game players, even though I don't fall in that that group of guys. I'll take a locker room full of guys that... Just uh, a bunch of nerds. Just a bunch of nerds <laughs> that want to play video games on the road. That take their the video game systems so they can play them in the hotel at the end of the night. As opposed to, let's get super drunk and drive down the road. That's I'll what, take the video game players all day, every day. That's what I think New Jack kind of shoot interview. I mean, say what you want about New Jack and his shit, but he... 
He, he was getting interviewed by, uh, God, I can't remember the dude. But it's... It was Hannibal TV? Yeah, the yeah. Hannibal TV dude. But it was, he asked, he asked him, he was like, so did you guys like really have that moment where you sit back and realize, oh shit, maybe we should quit doing this. He was like, no, no, we didn't do that. And then uh, and he's making a joke. He's like, we're, yeah, we're doing lines on his fucking casket. And it was, they were all laughing. And it, I get the point, but it was still like you could feel like they, 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 they didn't give a fuck. It didn't, nothing, nothing could impact them or hit them hard enough until they were dead and they couldn't have a thought. But there is one person, and if we can pull any positive out of, uh, you know, the tragedy that was... Louis's death, it served as a major wake-up call for Rob Van Dam. Uh, yep. uh, Rob was on that road where he was mixing all kinds of pills and chasing it with alcohol, and when Louis died, he quit a decision that most likely saved RVD's life. All right, so we're at the end here. It's not a very cheery end. Uh, we, I don't have any jokes to save uh, a 27-year-old fucking ODing. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up on the Nitro after Louis' death, Shivani brings up Louis' death around the 12 minute mark. They do the opener on Nitro that Louis died. They do the whole freeze frame screen. And Shivani cuts to Zabisco and he asks about his thoughts about him. And Zabisco, he says, Well, I have some comments about him, but in respect to Louis' family, I'm just going to leave that alone. That was because he was keeping kayfabe. I know. That's like, I mean, he's still going to fucking do kayfabe at that point. Yeah, I think Larry said that was one of his biggest regrets. I could be wrong on that, that he felt very bad about that. That stood out because I think or the rumor was that he was going to then do a program with Hall. But then Hall said, fuck him because of his comments. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What do you, you have an opinion on that? Drake? I don't know. You go either way. I, knowing Louie and how much he loved wrestling, I think he probably appreciated yeah, it. Yeah, I think he would have. I think he would have I think it thanks for All carrying right. on the heat in case. Yeah, yeah. He, and Louie might be like, hey, Mick, you never know. I might come back. You know what I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, See, that, That's a great point because it's like if uh, a comedian dies, make every fucking bad joke about me yeah, when yeah, I'm yeah, dead. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, in that regard, I can see that. But I don't know. It just. It, Listening to it, it's like it's kind of like really you can't say one nice thing on yeah. TV, but it makes a, the kayfabe thing in regards to Louis and his respect for the business. I can I can understand. It's interesting that you said Larry thought that. So that's. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure looking back, he'd be like, ah, I probably should have said something nice. But at the same time, too, he probably realized, well, Louis probably appreciates we keep the heat going. <laughs> yeah. You know, like at least I would. I would definitely. That's true. And, and any, good point. I didn't think about it. I hope Scott Dawson still trashes me when I die. You know what I'm saying? So, so that we, we can secretly still text each other, you know, happy birthday and good luck to you, man. And good it, Going back to the comedian thing, I remember when Ralphie Mae died, uh, Doug Stanhope found an old text that Ralphie Mae posted and said, when I die, roast the shit out of me. And then Stanhope did like a full Twitter thing of just roasting Ralphie Mae. And he's like, there you go, bud. Yeah, because you're thinking of them. Yep. You know, And if you're still actively keeping the heat, you're still thinking of them. <laughs> All right. So final thoughts on Louis Spicoli. Obviously, a sad story of a really good worker. He seemed like a very funny dude. Good mind for humor, for wrestling. We'll never know what he could have been in his 30s. Like, you know, he could have been a key figure in training people and backstage development. Think if Louis could have stuck around and stumbled across something like Chikara. Like, his mind for wrestling and comedy. And, like, I think it would have been amazing. Pillman and Louie died right around the same time. Isn't that right? Kind of. I, I, I think Louie was the first one 
that like going on the message boards and being that lonely movie and uh, wrestling nerd, hearing about Louis dying and tape trading uh, stuff on the internet and seeing the, the Louis stuff with Tim and Dreamer and just his death really was the first was like, oh shit, man, I really like that dude. Now he's fucking dead and he was so young. I remember Louis' death really hit me hard for the first time and all the wrestling deaths that would come every year since then. Rob talks about how Louis loved uh, 90210, and he also said he loved The Simpsons. And I was like, oh, fuck, I love Louis more now because <laughs> The Simpsons is my favorite damn show of all time. And just sense of humor wise, like, it makes sense. Hey, if you like The Simpsons, you're going to have a good sense of humor and you know how, you're going to know how to make people laugh. And Louis knew how to make people laugh. And he was one of those dudes, whenever there was a segment or anything, I just wanted to see what he did because he was an interesting performer, an interesting human being. Spicoli driver for life, man. Yeah, and obviously his effect, like, Dreamer still does the Death Valley driver, but he calls it the Spicoli driver as as a tribute to a guy he feuded with for just a short, brief period of time. So you can imagine if you knew him for 10 years, how people feel about him. And... Yeah, as you said before, he'd be great in training guys, but not just like the spots and stuff like that. But the idea of character development. We talked about, we just talked about the depth of Louis Spicoli and Madonna's boyfriend. It just the, the whole connection of Sean Penn and circling back around. Obviously, his mind worked like that. And I think that's what is kind of missing with a lot of guys is just a full on character development. Uh, you don't see a lot of guys training people in that. And, and that's something that I, I try to instill in my training classes. And, and I think there's so, mostly because I think there's so few people doing that. I think if Lulu was around today, he'd be instilling that type of knowledge, far better knowledge that I could give out for sure. But uh, yeah, he always made, my sm- made me smile every time I saw him on TV, especially the body Donna stuff. Like that's just <laughs> right in the sweet spot of my life. Like I enjoyed every bit of it. Like, I mean, I tried to... I poke holes in it earlier but gosh it was so entertaining it was so fun to see him with that i would have loved to seen rad radford and candido have a run if the tag team titles but just great overall dude and just love going back and, and looking at all the stuff he does especially all the ecw stuff but guys i must let you know about something we have a new development and i'm glad this, this podcast came when it did and and not very early in our run because i have some information that I've collected from Zane Rowley and George South, uh, uh, recent developments that have uh, matriculated in the last few months of 2018. At an AML show in High Point, North Carolina, a man showed up and claimed to be Louis Spicoli. Oh, shit. Fuck. And was looking for work as Louis Spicoli. What? And claimed that he faked his death because Vince was out to kill him because he knew some shit about him. Wow. And showed up multiple times at AML shows here in North Carolina, claiming he was Louis Spicoli and was looking for work to wrestle as Louis Spicoli and introduce himself to everybody, wrestlers, fans, anybody that would listen as Louis Spicoli. Even one time walking up to Too Cold Scorpio and said, hey, it's me, Louis Spicoli. (laughs) To which Two Cold Scorpio said, man, it's great to see you again. (laughs) I haven't really been able to confirm if Two Cold was being polite or just super high. I have no clue. Uh, The man showed up multiple times at AML shows, like I said, uh, but then stopped showing up when George called his family a idiot. 
Not each one of his family members a idiot. He said the whole family singularly <laughs> a idiot. Your and lineage. <laughs> since then, the man has not been seen again. So a little bit of conspiracy theory uh, maybe out Andy there. Uh, just yeah. some kind of breaking news exclusive here. I don't think this is reported anywhere else. I don't think uh, PewDiePie Insider has picked this up or any other news source. Uh, oh. I doubt Dave Meltzer will, but it's here exclusively on 10 Bell Pod. Turn into a dirt sheet podcast. Oh, yeah. Wow. Share that little nugget of information for that you. That is awesome. Maybe that that's makes good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's gonna. That's when you know you've made it. When someone <laughs> pretends to be you after your death. <clears throat> All right. Uh, before we completely wrap up here tomorrow, if you're in the Huntsville, Alabama area, come see me at Epic Comedy Hour at the Flying Monkey Theater. I will be doing a set there. And Nick hadn't done comedy in a while, so it'll probably be pretty interesting. <laughs> you come see me bomb at the Flying Monkey Theater. That's Phil Alabama. Okay. This is coming out the 24th. Yeah. Am I correct? Okay. Well, um, then. today. Later today, Jake. Later yeah. today. Kayfabe. Kayfabe. All right. Well, Don't say kayfabe. Tell you what. Kayfabe, you idiots. Next, next week, uh, February 1st, I will be doing 10 Buck Comedy in Atlanta. Oh, nice. No shit. I figured I'd just spring that on you yeah, in midair. No Tell them to come watch you. Yeah, I'll be there at 10. Where, where at? Highland Ballroom. Oh, oh, you said that. Yes. Uh, I, be, I will be thing. going to Atlanta Super Bowl weekend. Like a real <laughs> moron. Uh, and then the next day, I will be doing Disruptor Pro in uh, Livonia, Georgia. Uh, it'll be look, Cornelia, Georgia. Excuse me. Cornelia, Georgia for Disruptor Pro February 2nd. So make sure you show up for that. Um, I don't have anything, but I want to say if you're listening to this, two days ago was the Peanut Butter Solution at Colt Movies in the Cave at Vizart. Um, you should have been there. It was fucking awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you want to donate, if you want to help us keep doing this podcast, patreon.com slash Pod. We have some cool stuff there. We'd sure appreciate any amount of dollars. Again, at Tim Bell Pod on all the social medias. Check out timbellpod.com. Shout out to Six Squirrel Studios for all our podcast production stuff. I am Nicolessa on all the social medias. Micah is jtrotter27 on Twitter. Yay. Jake is manscoot manning. Really? I'm going to start messing yours up. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Like, now that you've nailed his, you got to mess mine up. Manscout, please don't mess it up because people mess up and make Manscout one word. Okay? Jake and, didn't realize that was a bit, by the way, and his eyes actually fucked up. So Sorry, mad. what? <laughs> what is that? What? I got super Scoots? I super hot. Don't make me go back to scheduling tweets that let people know that Manscout is two words and not one. It's hard enough as it is because it's all one word on your Twitter handle and people just some oh, okay, Manscout's just one word, but no, Manscout Manning is not all one word either. <laughs> the uh, three different words. Manscout at Manscout Manning Instagram Twitter. Uh, there you go. Do not poke the bear. All right, this is Ten Bell Pod. Andy's coming. Act like a toy. <laughs>